You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and he calls us to preach the word in season and out of season. We pray that as you listen, you'll be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. Here at Cross and Crown, we believe that the Bible is God's word to his people. That means when we read the Bible, uh, we are hearing God speak. So today's reading is 1 Peter 2, verses 4 to 10. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by people, but chosen and honoured by God, you yourselves, as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honoured cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So honour will come to you who believe, but for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected This one has become the cornerstone and a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the word. They were destined for this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Uh, Gracious God, we ask that this day you might work through these feeble hands, you might speak through these trembling lips, you might change these stubborn, these cold and these weary hearts. And we pray these things all for Jesus' sake. Amen. I don't like to start with the negative, but I'm going to do it today. Apparently, they say there are three negative forces that most powerfully motivate people to action. Three negative emotions that can really drive how we live. I wonder if you can guess what they are. Pain. Fear. And shame. Pain, fear, and shame. So, uh, for you high school teachers out there, if you want to motivate your students to study, you can't make them feel pain, that's illegal, and rightly so, but you can make them afraid. Or you can make them, no, don't do that, don't do that. They are powerful motivators, though, aren't they? Especially shame. Especially shame. Who was it that grew up hearing those words, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That is so, so untrue. You see, the wounds inflicted by pain, no, they can heal, but but words that bring shame, no, they can last for a lifetime. I'm one of those guys, if you say something to me, it sticks with me, and I, I just remember it, and it's hard. And so it drives us, doesn't it? We, we live our lives, we make life decisions all to avoid shame. We don't want to be humiliated. 
We don't want to be rejected. We want to be acknowledged and accepted by the world. We, we crave the acceptance of our peers, the, the approval of our parents, the accolades of our heroes. And so we become people pleasers. We do whatever it takes to be approved of and honored by everyone around us. We are constantly asking this one question. What will other people think? What will other people think? And when we live like that, we lose our identity. We lose ourselves in a sea of real or sometimes imaginary expectations. And friends, if we Christians are captive to the expectations of the world, I can guarantee you that we will always be ashamed of the gospel. For we will feel the shame of following Jesus. We will feel the embarrassment of bearing the name Christian. And that was the everyday experience of the exiles here in 1 Peter. You see, right throughout this letter, uh, we read that they're being slandered, insulted, and ridiculed. They're not being martyred. They're not being beaten for the gospel. Sticks and stones aren't breaking their bones. But they're being shamed into silence. Shamed into privatizing their faith. Shamed into stepping back from the gospel. And if we allow ourselves... To be silenced by that shame, I can guarantee you we will not stand firm. We'll be held hostage to the expectations of absolutely everyone around us. What if though, what if there was an honour so great that that no shame could ever really control us? What, What if someone approved of us so much that if we had it, we wouldn't care about what anyone else thinks or says. You know, over the opening chapters of this letter, the Apostle Peter, he's been laying the deep foundations of who we really are. We are chosen by God. We are children of God. We are holy like God. And now as we approach the climax of this letter today, Peter wants us to realize what an honor it is. We are honored by God. In fact, God is so pleased with us, He so approves of us, that if we can understand just how honoured we are by Him, who cares what the world says? Who cares about the shame and the scorn of this world? We are chosen and honoured, and we are chosen to praise. We are chosen and honoured, and we are chosen to praise. Uh, Notice just how many times that word honour is repeated in these verses. Just look, verse 4, Jesus is the living stone rejected by people and honoured by God. Verse 6, the Lord lays a stone in Zion, a chosen and honoured cornerstone. And then in verse 7, honour will come to you who believe. You see, these verses are all about the honour that we receive as God's chosen people. Uh, That word honor and the word glory, they're almost interchangeable at a certain point. And And I wonder, where do you go to find glory? What is that one place that gives you honor before the eyes of absolutely everyone else? If only I went there, then people would respect me. You know, for some people, uh, their ambition or their family's ambition is for them to study at Oxford or Harvard. And you know what? It's not even for the quality of education. It's for the prestige. It's for the name. It's for the honor of wearing that Harvard hoodie. You can just buy one off eBay. 
For others, our ambition is to work at 101 Collins Street, that temple of corporate glory. For if I can tell my peers that I work at level 37 of 101 Collins Street, they'll recognize me. They'll honor me. Maybe even they'll envy me. You see, whether it's Oxford, Harvard, 101, choose your place. So many of us long to be in that place of glory. And in the Old Testament, the temple was that place. It was the place where God's glory dwelt and shone to the nations. And God's people of Israel, they, they placed, though sometimes they misplaced, their trust in that temple. That they would think to themselves, well, as long as the temple stands, as long as I study at Oxford, or as long as I work at 101, God's, God's glory remains among us. God approves of us. He accepts us. He honors us. He protects us. As long as the temple stands, as long as God honors us, who cares what the nations think? Who cares what the nations say? Who cares what the nations do? All that matters is the temple of glory. All that matters is the approval of God. But I want us to see that sometimes God's approval isn't in a place. It's actually in a person. I've got a friend in Sydney and his name's Jerry. Uh, Jerry uh, moved to Sydney from China with his parents at a very young age, and his parents sent him to the King's School in Parramatta, which is a bit like Melbourne Grammar here. And they sent him there with one intention. They wanted him to make friends with the children of the rich and famous. And through those connections, he'd be accepted and improved by Sydney's elite. Jerry disappointed his parents. Because instead of making friends with the children that are rich and famous, he said to me, Adam, I made friends with all the Korean Christians on scholarships. And those Koreans then introduced him to the Lord Jesus. It is somewhat ironic, I think. Jerry's parents sent him to the King's School to make friends with the children of Sydney's honored elite. But instead, he became friends with the honored Son of God. You see, in the Old Testament, God showed his glory through the temple. And in the New Testament, he shows his glory through his Son. You see, if you want to find true approval, true honor, true glory, true acceptance, don't make friends with this world. Become friends with Jesus. For he is the only one who is truly honored by God. He's the only one through whom God will honor us. You see, that, that's what Peter means when he calls Jesus the living stone there in verse 4. Did you see? By raising Jesus from the dead, God publicly honors his son. He, he gives him power and authority over absolutely everything. By raising Jesus from the dead, by defeating the greatest defeat of death, he shows the world that Jesus, not the temple, is the true place of his glory. In the resurrection, God, as it were, put the spotlight on Jesus and boasted like a proud parent saying, look at my son. Jesus, verse 4, is honored by God. Now, now you would think that if Jesus is honored by none other than God himself, then we would do the same, wouldn't we? We'd recognize him for who he is. But Peter writes that the world didn't honor him the world rejected him. That the very person they should have honored as the Son of God, they shamed. And they rejected as a mere fool. That they're like a man who walked into the Supreme Court, that, that place of legal honor, and thinks that it's somehow some corner shop in the slums and chooses to burn it to the ground. 
bad move. Or a graduate who meets the partner of a firm, mistakes and bullies him as if he were a clerk, and kicks him out of the 37th floor as if he didn't matter at all. And sometimes it can feel a bit like that's how our world sees Jesus. Where we gather here on Sundays, we love the Lord, we worship Him and honour Him as the Son of God, as the Saviour of the world, as the King of glory. But then we go home. We go to work. We go to be with our friends. And our family thinks that Jesus is a scam. Our friends think that Jesus is a myth. Our colleagues think that Jesus is a crutch. And the Jesus whom we honour and glorify as God's Son, the world shames as a stupid and superstitious myth. But let me ask, what do you think will happen to that man in the end? What do you think will happen to that graduate in the end? Even if by some chance they get away with it now, what do you think will happen to them in the end? Well, that man will eventually and dreadfully realize that the building he destroyed is the court before whom he must stand on trial for arson. And that graduate will eventually realize that the person he shamed is the partner who controls his career. And what do you think will happen to the people who shame and reject the Lord Jesus today? Verse 4 says that Jesus was rejected by people, but chosen and honoured by God. You see, by raising Jesus from the dead, God proved to the world that they got it wrong. That the very man that they thought was an embarrassment was actually God's honoured son. You know, sometimes standing for Jesus... Maybe not even standing, sometimes even calling yourself a Christian can feel exactly like verse 4, can't it? Like we're being rejected by people. A truth not just true of Jesus, but a truth true of us. We feel embarrassed, let's face it, to stand for an embarrassing God. I hate going to get a haircut. Because when my hairdresser Chris asked me what I do for a living, to be honest, I'm thinking of a thousand ways to avoid saying that I'm a pastor. It's pathetic, actually. I do this for a living, and sometimes I feel ashamed to stand for Jesus. I was in uh, the Gold Coast uh, taking an Uber to officiate a friend's wedding, and I thought, oh, you know, the Gold Coast takes five minutes to get anywhere anyway, so it'll be fine. Um, The the Uber driver asked me, so what do you do for a living? I think, oh, gosh, really? Maybe we'll just find another way to say this. And I said, no, 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 matter of Christian discipleship, I will stand for the Lord Jesus. I am a Christian pastor. And he looks at me, and I'm eyes on the road, he looks at me and he goes, really? So answer me this question. My sister died last month. What hope should there be for my life? And I lean over and look at just how much longer we've got to get to the destination. Friends, it's somewhat of the everyday experience of the exiles here in 1 Peter. They're being ridiculed and rejected just like Jesus was. Just like Jesus, just like the living stone, they were being rejected by men. But I want you to see Peter's encouragement in verse 5. You see, just as Jesus is a living stone, so are they. And so are we. Did you get why that matters? It means through our union with Christ, everything that is true of Jesus is now true of us. 
It means that we might be ridiculed and rejected by the world just like Jesus. But it also means that we are chosen and honored by God just like Jesus. It means that just like Jesus, we have defeated death. Just like Jesus, we have risen to new life. Just like Jesus, we've received a new birth. Just like Jesus, we enjoy a new hope. And it means that just as God honors His Son, God honors us. Just as God approves of His Son, He approves of us. You see, the world might ridicule and reject us, but just as God said of His Son, He now says of you and me, this, is my beloved child with whom I am well pleased. I wonder, who do you most want to hear those words from? Who do you most want to say to you, I am pleased with you? Or maybe another way of just asking it is, whose approval matters the most? You see, friends, if it's anyone other than God, we will waste our life chasing an approval that we will never truly secure. If we seek the approval of our parents, our friends, or our colleagues more than our God, we will not stand firm. We will care far too much about what everyone else thinks of us and will be shamed into silence. We'll be shamed into stepping back. But why would you ever need to? Look at what we already have. We already have God's honor. We already have God's glory. We already have His approval. We don't need to please anyone other than Him. Gosh, your friends might cut you off. Your parents might be embarrassed about you before their friends. Your colleagues might laugh at your faith. But in the end, if we truly get this, what does it matter? God honors you. God approves of you. God is pleased with you. Gosh, we could even say, He's proud of you. You see, God hasn't simply made Jesus His new temple. He's made us His new temple. We are the ones in whom God's glory dwells. Through Jesus, we are the ones who have God's honor. God has given us the privilege of not living for this world's approval, but we're freed now to live for His approval. We're free now to live for His honor. We're free now to live for His glory. That's what it means when we're, that's what it means that we're being built to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. You see, in the Old Testament, the priests had the honor of representing their God in the world. And now that honor belongs to you and me. You see, friends, whatever we do, whatever our job, our highest privilege is to live for the pleasure of God. Our highest privilege is to live for the pleasure of God. It is to live for the approval of God and no other. Just realize what an honor that is. What, what a deep privilege that is. We can live for God's honor because He's honored us. We can live for His approval because God has approved of us. We can be ridiculed and rejected, shamed and shunned, persecuted and pressured, but it doesn't matter. 
we can be counted fools for the sake of Christ because we know the honour that we already have. We know whose opinion really counts. So when the world shames you or is embarrassed of you for living for Jesus, stand firm. Don't be shamed or embarrassed into stepping back or going silent. Don't live for the approval or the acceptance of anyone other than your king. Now keep standing for Jesus, even when you feel like a fool. You know, that same choice it faced Israel back in the 8th century. Israel was threatened by Assyria, the superpower of its day. And it was faced with a choice. Do we trust in Egypt? Or do we trust in the Lord? And to be honest, by any calculation, Egypt was the logical choice. Egypt had soldiers, armies, power and prestige, but the Lord, he he seemed to have none of that. He seemed to have nothing. for, For Israel to have chosen the Lord over Egypt, it would have looked foolish. It would have been so embarrassing to trust God over the rational choice of Egypt. But look at what God says in Isaiah 28. Look, I have laid a stone in Zion a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation, the one who believes will be unshakable. Or as Peter adapts those words, will never be put to shame. You see, in 1 Peter 2, Peter looks back on that moment in Israel's history. He quotes these ancient words and he says to the exiles of his day, if you stand for Jesus... You might look like an embarrassment. You may seem like a fool, just like Israel. But just like Israel, I promise you, you won't regret it. You will not be put to shame. In fact, in verse 7, Peter says, Honour will come to you who believe. You see, if we stand for Jesus through the ridicule and the rejection, one day God will honour us. He will lift us up just as He honoured and lifted up His Son. But for those who reject the Gospel, for those who reject the Lord Jesus, eternity will look very different. For though they may ridicule and reject Jesus today, in the end, they are the ones who will be put to shame. God will show and prove and demonstrate that they got it wrong all along. He'll show them that Jesus isn't the one who they thought he was. No, Jesus is my honoured son. You see, this text paints a very stark choice before us. We'll be rejected by the world or we'll be rejected by the Lord. We'll be honoured by the world or we'll be honoured by the Lord. There is no middle ground. You see, if you're not a Christian, Peter wants you to see Jesus for who he is. He wants you to make the choice that Israel faced to choose Jesus over everything else in this world. And you know what? Peter is a bad salesman because he's telling you that if you choose Jesus just as Israel did, you're signing up for a life of ridicule and rejection being shamed and shunned, persecution and pressure by your friends, your families and your colleagues. 
but he's also showing you that following Jesus will bring you something far greater and honor and approval a pride, a joy that will far outweigh the greatest ridicule or objection this world could ever throw at you. And if you choose Jesus, I promise you, you will not be put to shame. You won't regret it. Just imagine being an athlete running a race with the whole crowd against you. They're booing, they're, they're jeering, they're, they're mocking, they're throwing stuff at you. But as you run, with the crowd set against you, you look up and there you see in the stands your dad. He's holding a sign. And he says, I'm proud of you. I approve of you. I honor you. And surely in that moment, the jeers of the crowd just give way, don't they? To the solitary, lone, but significant cheer of our dad, the only voice that matters. Who cares what the crowd think? Who cares what they say? It only matters what he thinks. So they're his approval that counts. You run for an audience of one. We are chosen and honored by God. He approves of us. He accepts us. He is pleased with us. So don't step back. Stand firm for the gospel. Stand firm in the grace of God. And I remember uh, hiking up Cradle Mountain. I tell people this a thousand times and people go to me, have you only ever hiked up one mountain? And the answer is yes. And I remember hiking up that mountain and being amazed at the sights and the scenery along the way. But it wasn't until I reached the top that my heart skipped a beat because it was only there that I could look down and see everything there in its full glory. And it's as if everything we've been reading in 1 Peter so far has been our hike up the mountain. We've been able to witness and glory at the sights and the sounds and the scenery that we see along the way. But now in verses 9 to 10, no, we arrive at the summit. The highest point in the mountain from where we can look down and see everything in its full glory. You see, these are just two short verses, but they are the summit and the apex of who we are. And I want you to, well, I want us, rather than looking at each of these terms individually, instead to look across all of them and to marvel and glory at four ways in which our God-given identity is the greatest honor of all. I want us to see the common threads that run through them and have our breath taken away. Firstly, our identity is given to us by God. Our identity is given to us by God. Notice that in all of these four descriptions, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, who we are is given to us by God. We are chosen by him, priests for him, a nation under him, owned by him. And, and so many of us want to be defined or, or find honor and significance in who or what we belong to. We get a sense of pride by being part of this family by belonging to that firm, by being included in that group. But nothing can compare with the highest honor of belonging to God who created and saved us and this world. 
I mean, gosh, if we get that, who cares what other people say about us? Our truest identity is safe and secure in God. No, no persecution or pressure, ridicule or rejection can ever change who we are. Our identity is given and kept by God. Secondly, our identity has been planned by God. Uh, Notice that Peter quotes so much of the Old Testament in these verses. He refers to Exodus 19, Isaiah 42, Isaiah 43 and Hosea chapter 2. It's as if Peter looks back on what God is doing right throughout human history to execute his plan of salvation for you and for me. I want you to know this. We are not an accident. We are not a meaningless blip in history. We are not God's plan B for the world. Now, in all of these references to the Old Testament, we see that God has been working in every moment of human history all for us. When you lose a friend, when you are rejected by your children or your parents or your brothers or your sisters for following Jesus, do not think that nothing is going according to plan. Now, God planned your life and identity from the beginning of time every day, including your worst, is written in his book. Thirdly, our identity is that we're saved by God. Just look at verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You see, more than anything else, friends, we are a people of mercy. Just like the Israelites were redeemed out of Egypt, we've been redeemed out of sin and death. To have an identity planned and given by God is an honor enough. But to be given that identity when we deserve nothing but wrath and judgment, man, there's an honor that should take our breath away. In the end, who cares if the world persecutes us? Who cares if the world rejects us? Who cares if the world shames us? We are saved by God. And nothing can be a greater honor than that. Finally, our identity is now that we live for God. Isn't it amazing that God didn't just save Israel, but he also sent them to proclaim his praises to the world. And now God gives us that very same honor. Not only to be saved by Jesus, but now to be sent by Jesus to live for His pleasure, to proclaim His praises, to give our whole lives for His mission, to reach our world to know, love, and live for Jesus. You see, God has given us an identity. He has planned our identity. He has saved us out of sin and death, and He now sends us to proclaim His praises to the world. If all of that's true, if God has really honored us in all those ways, then whatever the world might say about us, it doesn't ultimately matter. It doesn't ultimately matter that we're shamed and shunned by those around us. It doesn't ultimately matter that relationships fall apart for the fact that you follow the Lord Jesus Christ. 
We know who we are. You know who you are. You are chosen by God. You are children of God. You are holy like God. And sisters and brothers, we are honoured by God. If we really get that, we will never step back. Because we know whose opinion really matters. I know that for some of us, uh, going through a book like 1 Peter, firstly viewing your BLTs can be exegetically hard as you try and work through, what does this passage mean? There's a box there and I don't know what words go into it. But I know for some of us as well, we, we hear these messages to stand firm and the truth is we don't feel encouraged. Some of us feel guilty for all the times that we have stepped back for all the times we have gone silent, we feel guilty for the fact that we have not stood firm for the Lord Jesus. Maybe that's true of some of us. And if that's us, maybe we need to heed Peter's call. Maybe we need to stand firm for the gospel. But I know that so many of you are already standing firm. Just over the last month, I've heard so many stories of how so many of you have been shamed have suffered, have stood firm for the Lord Jesus. Some of you have come to me and told me about friends who when they heard about the gospel and God's claim on our lives, they didn't just reject him, they rejected you. Some of you have literally lost friends, relationships, because you stood firm for the Lord Jesus. Others of you have told me about your parents who think you're crazy for following Jesus. Your children who've walked away from the Lord. And it feels like somehow you, you've lost part of your family because you stood firm for Jesus. There are countless many more stories of sisters and brothers in our church and elsewhere just like you who stand firm every day. And if that's you, can I just say, I honour you. We honour you. And most of all, God honours you. For just like the Lord Jesus, you might be rejected by your parents, your children, your closest friends. But know this today. You are chosen and honoured by God. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we sometimes find it so hard to stand firm. Ironically, sometimes pain, it's easier to stand through pain than it is to stand firm through shame. Shame diminishes us, it, it dehumanizes us, it takes away from who we are, we're embarrassed. And the truth is, God, sometimes we're embarrassed of the Lord Jesus. And for all those times, God, we repent and say sorry. Teach us to stand firm, not just in your grace. Teach us to stand firm in your honour. Teach us to stand firm in your glory. Teach us to stand firm in your approval of us. May we live. May we run. May we stand firm, all for an audience of one. The Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.